can get prepped if you'd like. We're going to read from Genesis 1 today. The words are going to be on the screen. Um, uh, and so, and so oh, well, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to pick one of you lucky people to read it. Um, but if you want to just, you know, open your face ID, just, you know, give it a certain glance and get the Bible app up, uh, uh, then do that. Um, uh, a pleasure to be talking to you all today. We are continuing our, our summer sermon series called Culture Clash. Uh, which is a, a specific Chatham sermon series where for the last few weeks we've been looking at the culture uh, outside of the church and the culture inside of the church and the moments where it feels like they clash uh, because it, it feels like we feel that quite a lot in our weeks right now, doesn't it? The world is going one way, the church is going another way and what do you do, what do you do when you face an inevitable clash? You think, how do I deal with this? How do I be a Christian? You're beneath these lovely phrases but that, that can sometimes be a bit diluted because of repetition of just be a, be, a, be a witness, be a good light. How do you do that in a world where the culture seemingly is so different from what we're, what we're taught to, to believe and think and act in church? So that's what we've been looking at. And today we're going to be talking about a hot topic culturally. We're going to be talking about the environment, more specifically environmentalism. Uh, ho, ho. Now, this really is a red button issue these days, isn't it? It feels like you can't really go uh, a, few, a few days or even a day without hearing a comment or, or a conversation or seeing an advert about the environment and about the effects of climate change. And even just a few years ago, it was so much easier to, to be a climate change denier than I think it is today, partly because the science and the mainstream acceptance of it sits so close to the surface. But, but also, I think we feel it. I think we feel it. Last year, July 19th, we had that record-breaking day. Do you... Everyone knows where they were on July 19th. Do you remember that day when it... I think around here it was 37 degrees. The highest temperature in the UK recorded was 40 degrees in Lincolnshire. And scientists said this is not 1976. This is not an anomaly. You can expect more days like this. This is the change. And 10 years ago, we would have travelled on a plane to a country for 40-degree heat and for that sort of sun. And now it's with us. The climate is changing. And it's the conversation that the world is happening. And it's, 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 it's less a moment of culture clash. And it's actually more a moment of culture overlap. Because what's interesting is, is we have governments and charities and people groups calling for us to take better care of our planet. And actually that is an echo of one of the oldest and earliest commandments we were given by God. At the dawn of creation, he said, take care of this planet. I give this to you as a blessing, it's a gift. Take care of it. Be, be good stewards, be good custodians. And so today, I want to look at that. And I want to look at, I, I partly want to look at why it's taken people outside of the church to make people inside of the church sit up, when really, we perhaps should have been taking charge and leading this, and we haven't. I want to look at why. Not, not, not to kind of make you all feel convicted, but to, to understand the myths that, that uh, maybe for some of us have fallen into believing. I know that I have, so we can watch out and not fall into the same pattern of inaction. But I also want to look at that moment of clash where it feels like you don't necessarily disagree with your neighbour who does not come to church, who does not believe in God. You're going for the same goal, but there is a clash because the motivation or the underlying tone of why you believe what you do is different. And we are taught to be witnesses and to be lights in every aspect of our life. We believe that the gospel is so powerful, it can infuse every aspect of your life. From the littlest action, if you'd like it to, it can change that to the biggest principle. And so what do you do when there is a parallel between the world and the church? How do you still be a light? How do you still make people turn heads and say, 
I get it. Like, I mean, I, actually, I agree with what they're doing, but they're doing it differently. How do we do that? And I want to look at that, land it all around the, the issue of the environment and environmentalism and, uh, and have a lovely morning and then go outside. I think we'll be more primed to enjoy the sun today. Does that sound like fun? Wonderful. I got a cheer there. That sounds like Keith, big environmentalist. Nice. Okay. Um, all right. Well, we're going to go for Genesis 1. Um, uh, uh, and I mean, the story of Genesis, it's a, it's a very commonplace story. I'm sure you'll know it. The, the story of how God created the world in seven days. We're going to jump in at verse 20, partly because of time. Uh, so we're going to skip really the first four days. It's a joy to read. I loved reading this again. I hadn't read it for a long time. And, and I would encourage you, go home and read the first chapter of Genesis today. It is a treat. There are parts of the Bible where, let's be honest, it feels like a bit of a chore. How to sacrifice the goat in Leviticus. I don't, I don't run to read that at night. But then you read moments like Genesis, chapters of Genesis, and you think, gosh, this has been written really, really well. And it illuminates something it got. So, so go home, read the whole chapter if you can, because it's only going to enrich everything we need to talk about today. We're going to start at verse 20, and I don't want to read it because, because you're going to hear a lot of me. Um, would anyone else like to read this? Anyone else? Anyone else? Uh, I, can, I can pick Lorna, but we all know she's got the confidence. Was someone else like it? Yeah, yeah. Anyone? Yes, Megan's going to do it. Let's have Megan. This is a good practice for ID when you're leading a church. Carry on. Uh, 20 to the end of the chapter, please. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and everything living creature that, every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seeds in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird in the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God said, And God saw everything and he, that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Fantastic. Let's give Megan a round of applause. There you go. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. A lovely chapter. I would, I mean, I would read those verses again because I truly, I had such a joy rereading them. Um, so please do. But I'm going to draw out three points from this passage that we just read today. And the first one is a really obvious point. Just give me a couple of minutes to get beneath the surface of it. I don't think anyone's as unintelligent that they need to be reminded that, number one, the world is good. 
the world is good. You read this passage and it says it. There's a repeating motif by God himself. Every time he creates something, he looks at it and what does he say? It's good. He said it is good. And the reason why I think this is a point that we need to to be reminded of and bring to the surface when we're thinking about environmentalism is because so often the, the tone of the conversation that we have outside of the church about this planet is not a good conversation. It is a tone of negativity. It is a tone of, of fear. In fact, I would argue that the strategy with which we're informed by the news and the media about, about the environment and the planet and the climate change, it is less one that says, let's recognise how good our world is. And it is more one that says, let's stop something really, really bad happening. The emphasis is not on protecting what is good, but preventing what is bad. We see these adverts all the time. We see this, the, 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 the strategy to motivate people out of fear by saying, if we don't change now, there is going to be a more dangerous world. There is going to be a more fearful world. And to be clear, I'm not saying here that, you're, that, that those adverts are misleading, that they're wrong. I think, it's, I think it is factually true. We do not change our direction of travel. The world will not be as good as it is now. It will be something to be feared. That said, as Christians, are we given a spirit of fear? No, we are given a spirit of love. And you read this passage, and the prevailing tone of this passage is that the world is good. What I love about reading this passage is that it paints a picture of how much God is enjoying creativity. He enjoys creating the world. It goes into detail about what he's creating, and at each time it says, it was good. In fact, at the end, it said the world is very, he looked, at, he looked at what he'd done at the end of the sixth day, and he said, it is very good. God loves this world. God loves what he has created. He is enthusiastic about it. And so, yes, yeah, it may look like there is a, 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 an agreement between the culture of the church and the culture outside of the church that says, we've got to protect our planet. But the motivation, which does affect how you act, how you respond to something outside the world, is one of fear. Ours is one of love. We say God loves this planet. God is enthusiastic about this planet. And so therefore, I should be too. It is a, it is, it is a positive impression and tone with which we come to this. I, I would probably argue that there's maybe been some skewed teachings through church history, not necessarily false, but where so much put emphasis has been put on one, one aspect of this in the, in the relation to environment that we have missed or implicitly made people think wrongly in another area. And what I mean by that is so often in church, and again, I don't think this is wrong, I just don't know whether it's correctly balanced. So often we talk about how God loves his people, how God loves us, how God wants to save our souls, how God cares about our hearts, how God, how God cares about our salvation, these intangible things about God. So much so that perhaps, because we don't talk about it enough, it would be easy to think that God does not love anything other than his people and that God does not love material things. God made the material world. He loves the material world. God made the whole world before he made you. On the sixth day, he made mankind. He made everything else beforehand and he gave us authority over it. He said, take care of what I have done before I made you. God loves the world and he loves this material world. In, in, uh, where is it? in Colossians 1, 16 to 17, it says, he is before all things and in, in him 
he holds all things together. He loves it, he sustains it. Without him, everything would fall into chaos. The fears that we have in the media right now about climate change, he is the one that is actually preventing it. He is the one that's holding everything together. God loves the world. And, and again, I'm not saying that, 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 that therefore, you know, we should worship nature as it's of equal importance to us. No, no, no. My point here is that it is important. It is important and we need to recognise that. We can't lose ourselves in conversation about how much God loves us, that we think he doesn't love this world. He absolutely does. A famous, um, a famous American evangelist, D.L. Moody, once said, I look upon this world as a sinking ship and the Lord has given me a lifeboat and told me, Moody, save all you can. I think that a lot of us sometimes have this mentality that the world is a titanic voyage. It's going down. It's going down. So we need to save as many people as we can. I understand the sentiment of D.L. Moody here, but I would argue that it's not a very balanced argument. And actually it creates an implicit remark about this world that is not true to scripture. God cares about this world. He is not happy with the idea that we would think of it as a sinking ship. And actually, it is not his plan for this world. We're going to come back to that a bit later on. He has an end point that is different to, to the idea of, of this world going into damnation and it being done with. So save as many people as you can. The world can be redeemed like people. So that's the first point. The world is good. The second thing I want to talk about, and it comes from verse 28 in the passage that we read, we're commanded to protect the world. Let's have uh, verse 28, please. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Let's make no mistake. This is an instruction and a commandment from God. He is saying, look after this world. Fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it means to control it, to bring order to it. He's giving us authority over it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. He is giving us a job to do. It is a command. And I think this is important to say because again, outside, outside the church, often, often, and it feels unfortunate and slightly uncomfortable to say it, but if you take God out of the equation and you think about this world, the, the main motivation for wanting to do something is self-preservation. It is a selfish motivation, a distant selfish motivation. You, you might hear people say, well, it's not about me. It's about my children or my children's children or the next generation. That's true. But, but you are operating around the idea of legacy and heritage and lineage, something that is rooted from you. When you take God out of the equation, the motivation to protect this world is one of selfishness and, and self-preservation. When you put God into the picture, one, your motivation is, well, God loves the world, so I need to love the world. I should love the world. And actually, when you feel like there's a bit of a disconnect there, there's probably something in the spirit saying you can align yourself slightly more with God here. But two, it is a commandment. If you believe that God loves you, if you believe that God is God who created the heavens and the earth, and because he loves you so much, he's given you a set of rules and commandments and instructions by which to live by that will get you the best and fullest life, this is one of them. And I just think this is interesting because how often do you think about your duty or obligation to protect the world as a commandment in the same way you think about it along the other 10 commandments or the Beatitudes? Do you think about being a steward in this world as something that 
could, could be a reflection of your obedience to God. This is, this is something that's in the news all the time. Do you think about how much energy you use as an act of worship? I don't. I don't. This was a challenge to me putting this together. But I think there's a pretty good biblical basis to say you could. Perhaps you should. If we're talking about the gospel, renewing every part of our lives, infusing every aspect of our life. Well, our energy bills is a part of our life. God cares about it. There is a way for the gospel to affect the way we view that. Our usage of fossil fuels, our usage of, of plastics, all of these things. We can think about that in relation to obedience. We are commanded to protect the world. That is the second, that is the second point I want us to think about today. And the third and final point I want to draw from this passage, and it's less from this passage, to be honest, and it's more from the last book of the Bible in Revelation, where it's almost a continuation of the spirit of what God's talking about here. The world will be renewed. The world will be renewed. This is our home. And there is some misunderstandings among the majority, I'd probably say, of the Christian community, where they think, that at the end, when Jesus returns, the day we're all waiting for, the great banquet, we're going to ascend to this ethereal place in the clouds like Jesus ascended after the cross and he rose again. No, Jesus is coming back and we're staying here. This world is our home forever. It is our home forever. And when he comes back, he plans on renewing and restoring this world back to the way he wanted it to be. He plans on giving it life. You read the passage in in Genesis and and the purity with which we look at creation. He plans on restoring all of that. And it would be very easy if you didn't didn't remind yourself of that, the fact that this is our home forever, to fall into that trap of dystopian thinking. Where you think, well, you guys outside of the church, yeah, I would be worried about dystopia. I would be. I'm not. Because when Jesus comes, we're flying off. We're getting our own little thing. You should be worried, but I'm not. No, no, no. That's wrong. But it is also just as, just as more likely to fall into a misunderstanding or a trap of thinking where you think, well, because God's coming back and he's going to renew and restore and make this world everything that it should be, does it really matter? Does it matter how much damage we cause? I mean, if he's going to just rewind time, does, is that an issue? I think that's a really dangerous mentality. And let me tell you why. Because what would happen if you applied that mentality to the other commandments and commissions God has given you? Should we not care about sharing the love of God, saving people? Because, well, if he's going to come back and I'm saved, does it really matter? If all those people are going to be gone, it doesn't really matter. Is that the spirit with which we live by? No. No. Jesus came to restore our relationship with God. Where there was a distance between us and God, he came to make a way for us to have the kingdom God intended us to have. A kingdom where he will walk among us, just like he did in Genesis and in the Garden of Eden. That's what Jesus did. He came and he restored that kingdom, but we do not live in the fullness of that kingdom yet. We know it is secured, but we do not experience it in its fullness yet. But we do experience it, don't we? We do feel it. We can pray for healing and see healing. But we know that one day God, Jesus, will return and he will heal this whole world. We will see healing in its fullness. So we can pray for our planet and we can see healing, knowing full well that we may not get the forests back, 
that we may not get the, 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 the carbon levels that we need back again. But we can make a change and one day we will see that change in its fullness. The world will be renewed and we need to think about that in the same way we think about the other commands and commissions we've been given. The world is good. God loves it. He's enthusiastic about it. We should be. We've been commanded to protect it and we need to think about that in lieu of it being a commandment, an actual commandment. And the world will be renewed. And when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. That's a very serious prayer. What are we saying about it? On earth as it is in heaven. What are you doing about it to put your prayer into action? And so I wanted to look at like, three, three things that I want to push us to think about in response to this. And I'm not going to focus too much on, on all those tangible actions because I actually think the world is doing a pretty good job of telling us about them right now, aren't they? So the first thing I want to say is, number one, we can pray for this world in response to us being environmentalists. We can pray. We truly believe in the power of prayer. It can be difficult to pray for the world. I think you need a lot of faith to pray for the world. I, I do. And I think because the answer to that prayer can often feel so distant and so unrelational, there's so much less heart we can bring to that prayer. But it doesn't mean we should pray. shouldn't pray. We should pray for our world. A great pastor once told me, in every prayer, try your best to pray for something local to you that you feel connected to, national to you, that maybe there's a bigger distance from, uh, compared to the first, and international. And I thought that was such a wonderful way of, of, of encouraging a discipline in your prayer life, of prayer and building your faith to pray for some big things, to pray for the environment, pray for our planet. Again, living in the West, it's actually, it's really easy for us, because we profited from the use of oil and gas, and we don't see it that much. We don't see the effects of that, other than longer, not longer summers, hotter summers. A quarter of the population of this planet live in environments that will be dramatically affected by climate change. Flooding, droughts, agriculture, crop farming, their resources, they are in a very dire position that in a way we feel distanced from because, because we live in the West. And yet, Arguably, us as a category, the Western world has benefited and caused most of the damage. Can we bring that to our prayers? Can we pray for this world because God is enthusiastic about it and God loves this world? Number two, can we make changes? This is the part that you all know about. But again, I, I reiterate the point. How often do you think about, about whether you should drive a walk somewhere through the lens of your spirituality, your obedience to God, your obedience to a commission. How do you think, well, will it save me money? We think about it in the same way the world thinks about it. Well, am I being encouraged to you by the government? Well, yeah, you're being encouraged to you by God, your, your deity who is above all, all governments. That's a, that's a pretty big thing. So can we think about that? Can we think about whether we leave the lights on? about whether we leave the tap running, about whether you put a jumper on or turn the heating on. Can we think about all of that, not by trying to save money, but by trying to save a world God loves, by the fact that he has asked us to do it? Again, these things, I mean, they're so small. It's so easy to think, well, what's half an hour of heating gonna do? It's not gonna save the planet. That's true, but a billion pounds could be made up of 1p coins if you wanted it to be. It's true. So don't be, don't be blown away by the ferocity, the size of the challenge ahead of you. Do your part. Do your part because of all that we've discussed today, because God wants you to. Think about 
the way that you live as a custodian, a steward of this world in relation to God. That's the second point. And the third point, and this is my favourite one. Can you, number three, enjoy this world? Live differently to everyone else. Where everyone else says, oh gosh, this world is sinking. This world is a titanic voyage. We are entering dystopia. When everyone else is obsessed about the bad, enjoy the good. Enjoy the good because God wants you to enjoy the good. The spirit with which it is made, it says in verse 28 that it was given to us as a blessing. That we should enjoy this world. God made it. Again, if you go back and read that passage at the beginning that we read, I really encourage you to do it. Think about about the vibrancy, the diversity of what God is doing. Think about... You go to a zoo, you go to an aquarium, you see animals that you think, I have never seen that animal. I did not even know that fish could have arms. Fish can have arms. I've seen them. I saw them last week. Would you believe it? God has made so much and he did not make it stagnant. He made it with momentum. He made it to be moving and he said, subdue it, control it, control it. Because if you don't, it would just grow. He told everything to increase and flourish. That is something to be enjoyed. Again, there's this attitude in Christianity sometimes that I think is wrapped up in these very, very, very conservative ideologies that subduing something, adding order and control to something is, is, is conforming it to our view of what it should be. No, no, our view of what it should be is, is, is an imitation of what God did. The first task we were ever given in Genesis 2, I think it's 2.15, it's not up here, is to name the animals. Do you know, do you know in all of the Bible up to that point who had ever named anything? God. God looked at light and said, I will name this day. God looked at night, uh, dark and said, I will name this night. And then the first commandment he gave us is to name things. He said, copy me, copy me. God enjoyed making this planet, so you should enjoy subduing it. I don't like that word because it feels like today there's such a negative context to it, but that's not what the word is here. Add order to it. Do, do, do your thing, be a, be a steward of it, but enjoy it. And that is my hope and prayer for all of you today. I pray that that when we go running through Medway, we take in the fresh air, we take in the greenery, we look around and suddenly we think about this and and our spirit latches on to something. We think, I want to pray for this reflection garden in Chatham High Street that has been boarded up and closed because no one can maintain it. I want to pray for all the litter that I see around Green Park, uh, Green Point, Green li- great lines, it's great lines. Green point is in South Africa, I was on holiday. So. <laughs> Around great lines. My prayer is that now, when we walk down the streets, we view this differently. I know, it's a joy to know so many of you here and to have got to know you over the last couple of years. I know some of you live in villages. Villages in Medway where they are building houses upon houses with no infrastructure at all. And that is just an observation and a comment that we make. We disgruntled, you know, citizens, residents, you know, we think about that in relation to our council. How often do you pray about it? How often do you let your, your faith infuse the way you think about that and the way you talk about it with your neighbours? Because that is your environment and that is your planet that God has given you to be a good steward for. How can this affect the way that you live today and how can this affect the way that you talk to people outside of the church this is arguably one of the easiest ways to create a conversation with someone about god everyone wants to talk about this because it is such a hot button issue everyone has a view on this some people's views are negative some people's views are positive some people believe some people don't believe 
Everyone, everyone has a notion about their environment, but the way we think about it is different. The way we think about it stands out. And the very nature of having the conversation is an opportunity to show people that, that makes them think, I care about the world, like he cares about the world, but, but how come I'm living in fear all the time and, and he's enjoying the world, knowing full well that it's going downhill. I'm going to ask him about it. Oh, what do you mean that the world is going to be renewed? What do you mean that, that, that Jesus is coming back? What has Jesus done? Why does he need to come back? And suddenly you're talking about the gospel with your neighbour. There are clear avenues and pathways at this mainstream narrative and culture to talk about Jesus. And so use them, run with them, search for them. Be environmentalist because that's what God made us. That is the point. God made us to be environmentalists. The first thing, the first command he gave us was one of be environmentalist. How exciting. How exciting. So shall we pray? I think that would be great. And if you'd like to stand, you can stand. And then, I mean, we don't have a worship band, but that's absolutely fine. And then let's just take a few moments in silence, to just respond to the, some of the questions that I just asked you there. How has is, how is this challenged the way you think about things? How can this affect you? How can you make some changes? What do you want to pray for? Maybe in the next two minutes, you're just going to pray for the world. Maybe you're going to pray for sub-Saharan Africa that is in deep trouble in relation to climate change. Maybe you're going to think about, about the change you're going to make. Maybe you're going to think about what you're going to do this afternoon that isn't sitting inside, that is enjoying the planet God gave you. To do that, I'm going to... Titus, can you pray for us? Is that right? You lead us in prayer in this. And then if anyone would like to follow on and say their own prayers, that's absolutely fine. But if there's silence, that's also fine. That's also fine. And then Adam will just round us up.